what's the one overriding message that you want people to take away and do say and remember as a result of today's conversation? Yeah, I mean, I always go to the mercifully short video content. So when you intro me, you know, Chris coaches people to make mercifully short video content that drives revenue. I teach the direct video, you know, the super short videos for sales. And I also teach video content creation, you know, so two different ways, but the idea is always the same. It's straight to the camera. It's them and it promotes their business somehow, either driving direct sales or, you know, content marketing that's going to help them drive inbound leads. Okay. Um, sorry, I um, had the dentist this morning, so my uh, lip's starting to itch now. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I've, I've been biting it for the last hour, trying not to. In terms of frequently unasked questions, I'm going to try and avoid my Fs because it's going to flap. Uh, what are the frequently unasked questions? Questions people should ask, but they don't when it comes to producing good quality, effective video. I don't know. I guess like, you know, I wish people would get more curious about it. Like, what does the workflow look like? What do you actually say in the video? You know, how do you actually get it watched? How do you actually get people to respond? I have this very effective method and I actually worry that it's so effective. Sales leaders don't believe me when they hear the results that we got. So I wish they'd be like, wait a minute, explain to me, how is that possible? You know, because I would tell them. I like to think, especially with video, my style is very simple, actually simpler than what a lot of sellers in B2B SaaS are trying to do. And the, the simplicity is, is why it's more effective. Okay. Well, again, cutting through the noise, long-winded tedium is the last thing anybody needs in their inbox, especially when you're spamming or when it's cold. If it's warm, you might give them a little bit more latitude, but you've got maybe three to seven seconds, I would have thought. Yeah, I always believe it's good to get to the point. Even if somebody loves me, I'll cool. just get to the point because they got they got things to do, you know? And that's that's my philosophy is like, look, if you send a 15-second video, you can get the 100% of it watched, you know? If you send a five-minute video, a lot of time to get distracted there. Yeah, uh, well, I used to do longer videos when I had my Sanda franchise and uh, the drop-off was one minute 26 which I think was quite long, actually. For the yeah. fact managed to keep people on for that long was a miracle. And uh, what about blind spots when it comes to making uh, interesting and useful video? Um, like, what do you mean by blind spots? What's the stuff that people just seem to ignore? They don't even know they're doing stuff and it backfires on them. I'll say they don't look at the camera correctly. Okay. There's a difference between the way you talk on stage versus the way you talk on video. And sales trainers often, they teach their sales reps to go on video and like speak like they're on a big stage with hundreds of people in the room where they got to project. It's actually much better to be conversational. You want to talk to that person like they're sitting there in the room across from you at the breakfast table, you know, not... You not people out there saying, you know, turn into John Gilgood or... What's his name? Robert De Niro. Thank you. Yeah, I, I didn't know who you were talking about, but um, yeah, I mean it's <laughs> that's depressing. It's it's more like it's more like acting on you know camera for a film than acting on stage for a play, you know. But mm -hmm. a lot of sales trainers they learned in person. You know, they were speaking to these big rooms where you had to be projecting because there's you know all these people in the room and everybody's got to hear you. 
they just haven't taken the time to adjust to video and learn that like, oh, it's, it's a, there's different, um, a confident speaker is doing things differently on video than they are on stage, you know? Okay. Do you see any difference between analog and digital natives? So old fuddy-duddies like me who grew up without technology and then had to become reluctantly um, accepting of it versus young whippersnappers like you who've grown up with it throughout your life. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to talk. I'm I'm a millennial, you know, and I've actually got my eye on Gen Z because they're the generation that grew up on YouTube. They are more casual about it than previous generations because they've had no choice. They were, Their parents were putting them on YouTube and Facebook before they were even old enough to speak. So they've grown up differently. They have a different relationship with celebrities. They have a different relationship with the camera. They have a different relationship with the internet. My whole thing is kind of like sales leaders should be embracing that. You know, you have these talents on your team that you could be using. You haven't figured out a way to work them into the sales process yet. So you're having them go out there and make cold dials. But if they're not picking up the phone, the TikTok generation has the phone skills already. They know how to hold the phone. They know where to put the lights, you know, but their bosses don't have like a process for them to actually do that in a way that's, that's going to help sales. Right. But okay. So there's this huge disconnect between older generations who are on their way out or maybe retiring, but there's still the money behind the business. Right. Because remember when the great resignation started, a lot of Gen Xers decided that they were going to retire early because they'd had enough of asshole bosses, they'd had enough of coming to work and commuting. And they thought, you know, I really enjoyed the couple of years doing things at my own pace. And it's time to ease up. I made my money. So a lot of those people have now gone into either consultancy uh, where they're advising or where they've gone into investment um, or they're, they're now investors. So a lot of that stuff is still there in the background about cold calling and sales being a numbers game and all of that kind of stuff. But what baffles me is the performance in the last seven years has halved as the technology's exploded and data's become more ubiquitous. What, what's going on there? Yeah, it's not working as well as it used to. You know, I, I always say like a lot of these business processes were built under the assumption that somebody's logging into a work computer at 8.30 and logging out at 5 p.m. And that's not how work goes anymore, you know? Work and home merged together in this way that like we didn't plan for, but it just happened. Yeah, to the to the older generation who doesn't want to change, you know, I would challenge them. I say, one, look at your results. You know, even the best companies, even the best, most reliable sales teams who were quite good at forecasting their data, they're all cutting staff. It's not because all these SDRs suddenly forgot how to use a phone. It's the the role is changing. Yeah, I feel in the future, marketers just have to get better at driving revenue and asking for money and sellers need to understand content marketing a little better. And they have to understand that, you know, especially if you're starting from cold, you're starting outreach for the company, you know, the first time you come into contact with a prospect, they might not be throwing 30 minutes onto your calendar so they can sign up. And that's fine. They're out here. They're sitting there. They're consuming information. They're trying to find solutions to problems. Like if you become part of their environment, you know, if you become part of their world, it's a lot easier to get that meeting 
I just say a lot of what I've done is just kind of reordered the steps of the classic sales process. You know, so originally it was cold. You do your outreach, you get them in the pipeline. You know, you, you start this nurture sequence, you're nurturing them up until you can close them. I just mute, move some of those nurture steps in front of the pipeline, you know? So you're giving value out there, you're interacting with your prospects, you're educating them, you're talking about their problems, you know, you're doing all that stuff before you ask for that initial sales meeting. But isn't that just the way normal human relationships work? You don't just walk up to somebody and say, fancy a shag and expect them not to punch you on the nose or be slightly offended. Um, I mean, you might score one in 20 or one in 100, depending on how, you know, whether you're up in Newcastle or not. But uh, sorry, I, <laughs> I should probably take that out for, uh, to hell with it. We'll leave it in. But the reality is that human beings expect some give and take and some interaction. They don't just suddenly leap into bed with you because uh, historically human beings have been your biggest threat. Of course, they don't trust us. I disagree with a lot of the sales training out there because I feel like it's it's purely tactical. You know, if you actually pay attention to what they're teaching these usually young appointment setters, it's how to objection handle. What do you do when you call that person and they say, no, I don't want to talk to you? How do you outwit them? What questions do you ask to get them into a conversation anyway? When they ask how much your product costs, how do you dance around and not give them the answer so they'll actually set a meeting with your account executive? They're kind of teaching you how to like outwit somebody and people don't want that. Like if you're in the middle of your day and someone calls you, you don't want to sit there and have to think three steps ahead of somebody whose job it is to outsmart you. The most logical move there is to just not play the game in the first place, which is why people don't answer their phones, you know? My theory for the video is even if you disagree with what I say in the video, you can consume the message on your own time. When you're in a calling situation, when you're actually talking to a salesperson and you express an objection, you know, they go through this whole thing to try to change your mind. They ask you leading questions to try to get you to arrive at the point that the seller wants you to arrive at. And I've actually just found doing some of this communication through video even if they don't agree with what I'm saying in there, they're not having to defend themselves against me. They can absorb their message. They can think about it on their own time. And then when I call up, because I know I watch the video, because I watch my analytics, you know, and I say, hey, Marcus, you know, I want to see if you had a chat about that video I sent earlier in the week. You know, we, we can actually talk about whatever the topic of the video was, you know, whatever point I was making in there. You've had some time to consider it on its own merits, you know, outside of this context that is in many ways adversarial, you know, and I've just done sales for so long that I know the hardest part is getting them to break out of that defensive posture. You know, they're defending themselves and protecting themselves against well, you. Mike Bosworth yeah. uh, talks about uh, discovery resistance, and he's absolutely right. And uh, that came about because... Um, he was going back to clients he'd worked with for years and they were saying, well, look, this is great. The top 20% love it, but the bottom 80% stopped using it within two weeks. And he couldn't work out why. And it was because it was all tactical and it was all about uh, selfish self-interest. And so the buyer has no reason to want to engage. So before we go any further, I want to introduce my guest today. He's Chris Bogue. 
Um, you've heard him talking. We're going to be talking about the use of video, short, mercifully short video, that will uh, actually capture the attention of your audience. And if not, it certainly won't offend them enough to want to cut it off midstream. And uh, again, I'm curious, Chris, uh, quick question. If the mm-hmm. video doesn't make it to the end of the viewing, how mm. does that affect the way the algorithms treat it in future? So for video content, you've got about three seconds to hook them. You know, if you're putting videos out there on LinkedIn, you got to get the audience to watch three seconds at least. Otherwise, it doesn't count as a view, you know, and that seems easy, but it's not. It's actually like if you actually took note of how quick the decisions you're making as you're scrolling through your feed are, getting someone to stop for three seconds is difficult, you know, for the sales videos. If you're not getting at least close to 100% watch rates, that person is not really interested in your message. And this is actually one of the big things I hear a lot of sales leaders complain about. They they adopt these video solutions like Loom or Vidyard or BombBomb. They only get 10% of the video watched, you know, and they think the problem's video. Well, you know, video doesn't work in sales. And it's like, no, the, the problem is probably it's your message or your targeting or your performance, or there's something there that 10% 10 of the way in made them decide, you know what, this isn't worth it. It's my face made for radio, I think. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this is really interesting. Before we get deeper into the conversation, do you mind giving us 60 seconds on your history uh, and how you ended up in this line of work? Yeah, I'll try. So my name's Chris Bogue. I uh, I coach people to, to... make mercifully short video, whether that be sales teams or content marketers or entrepreneurs. I did sales for 10 years. I was doing education technology. So I was selling uh, AI-based technology to universities and university professors. And it stopped working because the three best ways to reach them were call their office phone, visit them on campus, or visit them at a conference. COVID happened. All three of those ways were no longer available to me. So I got on video discovered I was much better on video than, you know, 99% of sales reps. And it's because I have this secret history where I was a sketch comedian for 15 years. I did some television work. I was on network television. I did some web series. I wrote and directed a lot of shows. So I, I produced a lot of shows that I was not in. I'm very comfortable so in front of a camera. Cut a lot of stuff out. Yeah. Well, I mean, those shows were like 90, 120 minutes long, you know, and that was with a full cast. It was a challenge for me going down to 30 seconds, you know, but I, I just, I didn't have any other choice. You know, it was, I was, um, it was a difficult sale. It was long cycle. The territories did not move around a lot. This was an exhausted lead list where everybody who told me no had already told me no three months ago and I had to close them anyway. And yeah, I had found that if I just got on camera for 30 seconds talking about them, you know, I, I don't do comedy in my sales videos. It is straight to camera. There's no green screen. There's no on-screen effects or screen shares. I'm talking straight to them. And I've just this history of, I, I was an improviser. I was a comedian. I'm used to being in the moment. I can think very quickly. And um, this is a thing that everybody in business really overthinks, you know, and it's hard for them to do it at the level of output where they're actually going to see results. Okay. So let, let's deal with some of the, uh, the cardinal sins. So too long. Mm, yeah. Okay. So we've got that one out of the way. Boring. How do you not be boring 
in a corporate or a sales video? It's about the audience. I always say the difference between me and a lot of the videos you see out there, either from LinkedIn or from you know sellers who are sending direct uh, to prospect videos, I treat the camera like it's another person. And like maybe it's just me sitting there talking to the screen, but I'm treating it like a two-person scene where the camera is one person and I'm visualizing them and what they care about. And then, yeah, I'm talking straight to them. And the video is not about me and how great I am. It's about them. It's about, hey, I noticed this is your value. I noticed here's a goal you're working on. Here's something I noticed that your sales reps are saying. I know you just adopted BombBomb. And that's why I'd like to have a conversation with you, you know, and I'm always building this case. It's you, you, you. I literally write it on a post-it note, just you, 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 because that's what people are, are actually interested in. I don't care that somebody is a CEO and they're very wealthy and successful and have exited multiple companies. They don't necessarily think of themselves as like, you know, the great, like they're thinking about the problems they have on, on their agenda this week. You know, what's not getting done, what needs to be fixed, you know, what obligations do they have that they need to carry out? So if you go in there and treat them as an equal, and I, I, this is another thing I see sales reps do, do too, which is a huge mistake. They put the prospect up here and they're down here. And it's a very, sorry for bothering you. I know you're so busy. I know. And it's like, no, you actually, you have to come in there believing that you have something valuable to offer, but you speak you straight to right what they care to, about. And they have the right to be there. If you yeah. don't believe you're worthy of being there, then why should anybody else? And you'll project out on camera, just like you ooze out your despair when you turn up at the end of quarter trying to squeeze your buyer into making a premature decision that they're not ready or willing to make. Exactly, yeah. And they don't know. That's the other thing, too, that, like, I really, you know, if you want to get really deep into the background, you know, I was going through a bit of a crisis when I discovered the video thing. I was going through a pretty heartbreaking divorce, you know, and it was not something I could really share with people. It was not really something I could share with my family. It was a very personally difficult thing I was going through. And I just had this realization out there as I was talking to all these professors at all these esteemed universities closing sales. I'm like, they don't know anything about me. They don't know that I don't have a PhD. You know, I was selling to PhDs all day. I originally was really self-conscious about that. But once I just started talking about them and their research and the things they cared about, they started just assuming I had a PhD, you know, because I was, I was speaking their language. Yeah, I always say it's like, I get disappointed that people don't Google more often. I'm like, how could you not Google that? That's a clearly fake article. But now I just use it to my advantage. You know, if I go out there for 30 seconds... And I say something intelligent about sales and it's in a video on LinkedIn, you know, the audience's response is not, wait a minute, prove to me that you're qualified to talk about this topic. You know, <laughs> send me a list of employers and it's, they're like, oh, that was smart. And they click the like button and they move on. And, and again, that's, that's like, I feel like that goes back to another like kind of fundamental misunderstanding a lot of people have on video where they spend the first 45 seconds explaining who they are and why they are qualified to talk to you in the first place. Whereas if they just spoke straight to the value, that would probably come through. If you're, if you're speaking knowledgeably about the things your prospect cares about, they just assume you're qualified to know what you're talking about. 
I, I've always found people who have to tell you how rich they are probably uh, are hiding something. Yes. Uh, in the same way that people who tell you how clever they are and well-educated they are uh, are normally hiding something. So the reality is that how you show up will be reflected back in terms of your buyer's responses. And I think far too much time is spent trying to convince people instead of trying to enter into their world and spending enough time thinking as your customer. Yes. So let's start with the deep thought that needs to go into preparing for doing video so that you're not just interrupting someone's day. Because if you do interrupt somebody, it's probably going to take them about seven minutes to recover their concentration. Your interruption better be good because after that, they then have to do the work that they've failed to do. True. Yeah, this is very true. I always say that my secret to video is it starts with good list building. If I'm looking at a list of 10 people, they've all got the same job title. They all work for, you know, similar sized companies. They've all got a video solution like BombBomb or Loom. That message is probably not going to change very much. I can shoot those videos back to back to back. And my style is I do it on one piece of tape. I turn on the tape. I record those 10 videos without stopping the video. And then I throw them into an editor and I chop them up. So I'm only filming, you know, if it's 10, 10 videos, I'll probably be a 12 to 15 minute video file. Each one is about 45 seconds long. Probably maybe there's a, a couple retakes on there if I flub something really bad. But again, it's the hard part was like, is this data accurate? Are these the right people? Have I found, would they be good for me? Do they actually have a problem I can solve? Yeah, then it makes it, it much easier. And a lot of times you're seeing the opposite of that in sales. You've got these appointment setters. They're not 100% confident in their data. They're working off a giant sloppy list and they're calling. And like when someone picks up the phone, they're trying to figure out like, is this the right person? Is this person, you know, a qualified fit or should I disqualify them? I do most of that work before I turn on the camera and start talking to them. And again, this comes from the type of sale I was doing. I'm very, my leads are precious. I don't want to do anything that's going to burn a lead. And I find when you're very sloppy with your outreach, oftentimes you get sent to spam. They say, do not call me, put me on the do not call list. And once that happens, now you're actually, you're behind the eight ball. You're, you're behind zero. You have to do all this work and credibility building just to get back to zero. You know, just to be allowed to send them an email. For me, it's like the video is always about controlling that first impression and controlling that last impression. And like you said, even if I send a video to someone and they're not interested, usually they're not going to be angry about it. They'll respond and I get very good response rates. You know, a lot of the times they respond saying, hey, I really appreciate this. I'm not interested. And that's fine. As salespeople, we know it's better to get a no than to have someone ducking and hiding your correspondence and being afraid to respond to you. You've touched on something really important here, uh, especially as we move into a much tougher economic marketplace. It's really imperative that the leads that you do have, you nurture and you grow and you develop, and that 
you don't waste them because your time is precious. One of my favorite exercises is always to ask, um, so Chris, how long are you dead for? <laughs> Forever. Forever. Um, and okay, so tell me this, given how much longer you have left on the planet, how much of it do you want to spend on penny-pinching tight asses who make your life a misery, avoid you, lie to you, and uh, try and penny-pinch? I would not like to spend very much time on those people. Okay. And how much of their time left on this mortal coil do you reckon they want to spend with a pushy salesperson who has only their own selfish self-interest at heart and is not listening, not paying attention to them, and not trying to help them solve their problem? Yeah, they're not very interested in that. Right. Okay. So would it be fair to say that at this point, now would be the time to decide that we no longer waste any time chasing non-prospects, not trying to attract them, not pursuing them, just to keep the pipeline full? Because that seems to be the, um, the symptom at the moment, um, that people are keeping their pipeline fat. So it looks like a pair of old granny knickers, and it's all baggy in the, on the, uh, the edges, and then saggy in the gusset. And there's, it's not full of nice stuff. Because basically people just are afraid of letting go of pipeline because they want to look like they're occupied. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. On one hand, I'll say like, yeah, that is definitely a problem. And I see, I mean, so I have this, I, I teach my clients to like color code their leads. So leads are green, yellow, or red. You know, green is like, greater than 50% chance this person's going to close, right? I say they're green. If they've already expressed interest in paying for my service, like out loud, that's a greater than a coin flip chance that I can get them. Yellow is 50-50. Yellow is like, this person fits my ideal customer profile. I've not really gathered any clues, whether they'd go one way or another. Total coin flip, you know? And then the red is, is worse than a coin flip. This person has already told me no. They've already said they're not interested. So I say, you should only be sending those videos if they're direct and you're making them custom, only send them to green and yellow leads, right? I always tell my clients, I'm like, I never, ever, ever want you to want to make a video that does not get watched and your time is precious. So yeah, there's all these re-engagement strategies for people who've told you no, and I don't really bother with that for video. I make the video content. That's why I say it's like, hey, those are the type of people you want to get them with your marketing content. You want to put put stuff out there on social media. That's where they can do it. But if you're if you're taking a sales rep and you're having them devote their time to it, no, don't have them chasing around people that already told them no. And on the flip side of that, if somebody's green, the question you have to ask yourself is why are they not closed yet? If I'm so sure that they're going to close, why are they not? What do I have to do to actually get them to the point where they're ready to sign? You know, but yeah, I have a whole, I feel like the spray and pray method that a lot of companies do where they just email everybody and their grandmother and they're never willing to let anybody go. It's it's causing more problems than it's fixing. And actually what 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 I saw all the time when I was actually doing sales is you start getting sent on these wild goose chases and not only do the people not show up, not only do the deals not close, it's easy to take your eye off the ball. And some of these big deals that maybe should take a little bit more work, should take a little bit more preparation effort. We pull ourselves away from those to chase around these people that aren't even interested in us. It's interesting because I, I see this level of attachment 
causing all sorts of problems, not, not just in terms of hanging on to non-prospects. And often it's going after the wrong market because it's the market that made us successful in the past. And we're hoping to rekindle that past success without really doing enough research. So I'm really interested in the process and the workflow that goes into researching your customer and and then making sure that when you put your video out there that it's hitting the mark. Yeah, so I I always say so I'm anytime I'm showing up on video to a prospect, I'm probably talking about at least one of four things. So these are goals, values, an elephant in the room problem that they're experiencing or some sort of relevant event for both of us. I call uh, what I do consent-based selling. And consent-based selling goes like this. Let's say I was an enterprise, like I was doing like enterprise stuff. I'm selling into like enterprise accounts. I don't want to get blacklisted. I don't want to be like told I'm not on the vendor list. It's hard to get in front of these people. There's nothing, there's no rule saying I can't go interact with your company's content. You know, if you're putting content out there, if you're putting content on LinkedIn or Twitter or social media, it's because you've paid a marketing person to create that content, you know? And if there's no social media post, I look to the press releases, I look to their company website. Marketing exists to be noticed. That exists because the company wants to be perceived a certain way. So the easiest thing for me to do is to show up noticing them the way they want to be noticed. You know, they're working on a company-wide goal. They're trying to espouse some sort of value. They're holding some sort of big event that they're trying to get people excited about. If this is what all the marketing is talking about, that's probably very important to the people who actually run the company. So I would say the first thing you can do is you can notice them the way they want to be noticed. You know, so that's the goals. That's the values. Hey, I see you're working on this. I see you're striving towards this. And I see a lot of alignment with what we're doing here. You know, so you build that. You want to get on their same side. Elephant in the room problem. You know, you got to be a little delicate with that because like I, I always say, people don't want a stranger to just come up and start diagnosing their problems unannounced. You know, this is the the issue I have with a lot of the training around video where sellers are trained to, to do a screen share. They say, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take your prospect. You're going to make your background of the video, their website or their LinkedIn page and send them a video explaining how bad their website is <laughs> and showing your wonderful solution about how you're going to fix it. And yeah, I have found that's not the way to go. A screen share, a product demo. That's what they do. That's what they do. Are people actually recommending that? Yeah, because the video solutions build this screen share technology into their solutions and people feel like they need to use them. I think that's because of a lack of confidence in the message. You know, you're not confident enough in what you're saying. So you want to have something on the screen you could be describing. But honestly, for me, it's easier to be like, hey, I see you just adopted BombBomb. I know it's a powerful tool. I help organizations use it more efficiently because I found that oftentimes, you know, they don't have a process for this, you know? And if, if you got a couple reps who are adopting this well and some reps that don't know where to begin, that's actually incredibly common, you know? And if you're seeing some wins, if you're starting to see some success, I'd love to have a conversation with you because I can help you scale that to your organization. Yeah. And then the last one is an event. You know, again, it's like uh, I do live events. 
if somebody is coming to my live event uh, and they fit my ICP, that to me is a signal that they're interested in what I have to say, you know? So I can send them a short video saying, hey, Marcus, glad to see you're on the, the guest list coming up this Thursday, you know, bring questions because I'm going to be answering audience questions. But here's something I'd like you to think about personally. I see your company striving for X and Y and Z and I do da-da-da. So yeah, let me know if you're open to a conversation. You know, and I always tell sales reps, it's like the video is not where you go to sell the product. It's where you go to build curiosity and you sell that conversation. And then once you get the conversation, you get that 30 minute meeting or whatever. Now you've got all these powers you can use, right? You can bring in case studies, you can bring in data, you can ask about budgets, you can ask about difficulties. You can do all of that in a proper sales meeting. But if somebody is not giving you that sales meeting, you got to get the conversation started. Now I always say the video is just a way to open the lines of communication. Okay, I love everything I've heard. My question is, why is it that we're spending so much effort creating these fantastic sales and marketing motions, and we're focusing them on the least effective part of the market, the cold market, not the hot market? Why not just apply the same principles in order to try and find half a dozen partners who are already working with that enterprise client and have uh, create relationships and get introduced to those people so that they can introduce you and hand deliver you where the barriers to entry, the, um, the borrowed credibility, the borrowed trust is so much higher. And I, I, what baffles me is that everybody seems to fixate on cold, uh, direct new business when all the data is telling us that partner-assisted deals are 70% plus higher in initial order value, uh, they churn less frequently, they're more profitable, and the customer lifetime is higher. What the hell is not to love? <laughs> I think the simple answer is just they're, they were not taught to do it that way. You know, and the whole reason why why I do it my way, and it's funny you mentioned that too, because I, I have a course that I sell that I, I teach people how to build a sales process. My course is like, you know, you buy it and by the end of it, you'll have made and sent your first 25 videos direct to your pipeline. You know, cold outreach is just one part of the course. I use video to improve show rates. You know, if you've got an appointment setter, you can use video to make sure they actually show up to the meeting. I use video to relay quotes. Uh, and legal questions. I use video to ask for referrals. I use video for customer success to walk people through processes. Talk to me that about the referral trouble. one, because a lot of my audience buy into the whole referral um, message. So that would be something useful to take away. Yeah, I found that referrals are easier if you come in with names that you want to ask about. You know, and again, this goes back to doing a little bit of homework beforehand. But I discovered that, so here, here's the way I don't recommend clients ask for referrals, right? So you, I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you. I go, hey, Marcus, let me know if you know anybody who would be good for my services. Mm -hmm. Never works, never works. Never. It's too general. People are like, oh, sure, yeah, I'll let you know. They never do it. What I do instead is I treat it like it's an event in progress. So, hey, Marcus, I actually, I'm glad I'm, able to talk to you because I'm reaching out to Ricky Pearl. I'm actually getting in touch with him later this week. And I wanted to talk to you first because I know that you're friends. Let me know if there's anything I should know or that you recommend me saying before I reach out to him. I do this because 
you know, often, cause if I did, if I didn't another way, you know, let's say I, I, I come to you and said, Hey, could you introduce me to Ricky? That puts all the pressure on you. Now you got to go make the introduction. If I'm pushy or if it goes badly or something, that's on you now because you opened the gate to him. And most people don't want to do that. Whereas if I say, Hey, I'm about to get in touch with Ricky. Would you mind if I talk to you first? People are more likely to do it because I framed it in a way where it's going to happen no matter what they do. So usually they'll respond and say, hey, you know what? Actually, it's probably good that you're reaching out to Ricky. He has an SDR team. I know that they're, they're doing video. And then, yeah, that's when I use the video. Say, hey, you know, if you wouldn't mind, I was going to make a video introducing myself. Would it be okay if I mentioned that you and I spoke? Um, and depending on where you're at or how comfortable you're with, I've had people forward on a video for me. Oftentimes, you know, if it's a if it's a current client or if it's somebody I'm close with, you know, I'll send the video so I can open up the conversation. But then once I ask them, I can start, you know, getting into those questions. Hey, what does Ricky prioritize? What does he want to see? What is he focused on right now? And now when I make that video introducing myself to him, I can say, hey, you know what? I'm reaching out to you. I was having a chat with Marcus. I'm helping teams ramp up their video and go out there and do it at scale. And I got in touch with you because I know you're doing X and Y and Z. And again, just having that little bit of credibility, being able to have that name they recognize, being able to have a little bit of insight as to what they care about. It's just so much stronger than going in there cold. Excellent advice. Okay. Um, So in terms of the workflow of uh, creating your video content and to be able to knock out 10 videos in 15 minutes, Uh, is a very rare skill. So presumably there is a workflow that allows you to um, uh, make it look easy and like magic. Um, So talk me through that. Yeah, so in my course, I teach the students that they should start with five. And, you know, one thing I always learned in sales, I had a great sales boss once, he would ask me every morning, what's your ceiling, what's your floor? So I say, you know, with my students, when I'm starting, I say, hey, you know what? You got to pick your ceiling, you got to pick your floor. If your floor is five and your ceiling is 10, that means if the end of the day rolls around and you did five videos, you can feel good about yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. you did it, you hit your floor. But if it's getting too easy to do five and you up it to 10, now you can celebrate. Now you really pushed it above and beyond, you know, because if you're doing five a day, that's about 100 custom videos per month. If you're doing 10 a day, that's about 200 in a month, right? So I say, yeah, you hold yourself to that floor and that ceiling. If it's getting too easy, you can increase that floor and ceiling. And also, if you're constantly falling through the floor, you need to lower it. So if you can't do five, you should set your floor to three and set your ceiling to five, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm going to get three out no matter what. I ask sales leaders, I ask them all the time, how many videos does your team make? They're lucky if they do 10 in a month. Yeah. Like literally they're, they're, they're spending tens of thousands of dollars to adopt these video solutions. And most of their reps aren't even making five videos a month. Right. So whatever that floor is, I have clients who start at three, they do three a day, you know, they pop on their camera, they just record one, two, three, and it's done, you know, and they're working their way up. In terms of the workflow, uh, mm. building on that, then what are the steps that we, we need to do in order to become organized? so that we can habituate the behavior and actually meet the, uh, the, the, the floor, if not the ceiling. So it depends on which stage you're looking at. But again, I'm always looking, you know, I'm always refining my VIP list. 
who are the big decision makers I'm going after? You know, those are the ones I introduced myself with the intro video to. So, you know, I'll say, okay, we got to do five of those today, at least. For like an SDR or an appointment setter, I always say like, use your calendar. A really simple workflow that I found for video, and this works for any seller, pull up your calendar and look, who do you have on, on the agenda this week? You can make a little 15 second video to each of them. And I always tell SDRs, you know, you guys are pulling rabbits out of hats, you know, doing the impossible to get these meetings on the calendar. You're calling and emailing and it's a lot of arduous work and you don't get paid unless that person actually shows up. I'll just go through my calendar sometimes, especially if I set the meeting like weeks ago and it was somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'll talk to you next month. I send a 15 second video being like, hey, Marcus, looking forward to chatting with you this week. Here's one question I want you to think about. And yeah, I'll see you Wednesday at 9.30 a.m. 15 second video, you know, very, very, very helpful to improving show rates. You know, you add that little human touch in there that lets them know, hey, I'm still expecting you to be there. I'm giving you a little bit of prep for that. I'm excited to see you there. And it was 15 seconds long. And how often do they actually prepare the question that you ask? I mean... I'm more, it's again, I kind of, I'm always speaking in kind of a general way. I I understand, but I I am curious because in terms of trying to advance their understanding, I always try and work out uh, what the value of uh, my buyer's time is worth. So if they're, uh, you know, if they're running a hundred million dollar P&L, then they're on what, about, uh, yeah, 58,000 an hour. So I better show up and be valuable. So I I want to understand how I can be more valuable to them by advancing their thinking. So I'm curious to see whether or not that tactic actually helps them move their understanding forward. Most of my questions are just about like, what role do you want video to play in your organization? You know, I know you've gone through and you've actually implemented this tool. I'm going to be asking you about your goals for the coming year. You know, so just get ready to talk about that. And, you know, I learned as a seller, a lot of the times, you know, rather open-ended questions are your friend, you know? So oftentimes when I'm actually in the sales presentation, yeah, I'm asking questions like, what role does video currently play in your sales process? What role would you like it to play in your sales process, you know? And oftentimes, you know, it's, I always say in a sales meeting, my goal is to not talk for the first 10 minutes, I like to ask a lot of questions about where do you see this going? Where would you like it to go? Can you walk me through your process for blank? How is this currently being done? And like, where are you trying to get to? And the dismaying thing for me is I find a lot of them have not even thought about these questions yet. They buy the video solution, have not even thought about how many videos their team should be putting out or how to upskill their workers. So They're producing better, faster, more strategic videos. These are just not things they've given a lot of thought about. And again, it's because business school does not teach them this. Business school will teach you how to make a phone call, how to send an email, how to set up a business plan, how to run a business presentation. Business schools do not teach you to make videos. And they certainly don't teach you to get on TikTok, you know? So it's like, this is not stuff they've had to realize they have to think about. And going back to what you said way earlier, when you're like, well, you know, the older generations, they don't really do it this way. My answer to that is they will. This is only gonna be more common as time time goes on. You can't find a single data scientist who would ever predict that next year, fewer people are gonna make fewer videos on fewer platforms. 
It's, it's always the opposite. Every year, it's more people making more videos on more platforms. Everybody has an HD camera in their pocket right now. The question is like, what are you going to say? Do you have the ability to actually go on camera and speak confidently to your people? And I find that no, most of them do not. And I think in some ways, the phone allows you to hide. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I, I say, you know, most of sales training is about tactics and how do you win someone back once they've told you no? How do you keep someone from wiggling out of your questions? And, you know, there's a lot of orthodoxy around you have to make 100 dials because maybe the 99, the first 99 are going to fail. Maybe person number 100 is the big deal. I flip that around and I say, you know what? Every performance needs to be the performance of a lifetime because what if that first person was the one? I find the obscene waste of life that traditional sales leadership and management uh, encourages in perfectly viable salespeople, and they're just being burnt out. It's such a shame because no one benefits from it. It, It's it's an act of uh, deliberate cruelty because there can be no other possible reason because the customers don't appreciate it because they're being inundated and deafened by the noise. And I, I mean, I don't look at email anymore. I've stopped using email um, Same. at two o'clock in the morning when I go for a pee because I'm old. And th- that's when I look at email. So if you want to, if you want to be communicated to when I'm on the shitter, um, that's probably the best time. But in all honesty, I've just been driven off it. Uh, I'm being driven off LinkedIn for uh, similar reasons. And I've found other communities where there are more people either like me or the people that I want to serve and they're high challenge and high support. And I think that's increasingly going to be the way business is done through those relationships, through through those ecosystems. And video can enable you to familiarize or become familiar. I remember when I had, I must've had about 400 videos up and people would meet me at, you know, in London. And I had no idea who they were, but they all knew me. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. And this is why, you know, and I, I use LinkedIn differently than a lot of people use LinkedIn too, because LinkedIn, you know, it's a status game and vanity metrics are, you know, what people chase after. And everybody's trying to get the post that's going to get a million likes so they can screenshot their engagement score and say, wow, look, I got a million views and you can do it too. And then they can Um, write a book about it, no doubt. Yeah, whereas I say, I believe the future is small groups, high knowledge, high engagement. You know, that's where you want to go. People who are, they're small, they're similar in nature. They're highly knowledgeable about the thing you're talking about. And when you start thinking about your audience that way, and I always say, you know, for the content, it doesn't matter that something goes viral. I start by imagining one person in the audience and I'm like, what would I tell this one person? And the result is, you know, I'm not the most famous guy out there, but when people do resonate with my videos, they'll tell me all the time. They're like, oh my God, it's like you're reading my mind. (laughs) You know, I thought I was the only one who thought about that. And I say too, that, you know, I'm surprised more comedians don't do things on LinkedIn because the thing I love about LinkedIn is there are no children there. (laughs) <laughs> is all adults is all adults is the only platform where you don't have to compete with teenagers. Your audience is smart. They're probably educated. They probably have money. If they don't have money, 
They're probably working for a job that doesn't pay them well enough and they're procrastinating, uh, in which case they're a good audience member anyway. But yeah, if you go talk to people like they're smart, they'll react. And, and most sales language and most marketing language talks to people like they're idiots. It's awful. I mean, what baffles me is the amount of money that is squandered on digital ads, on bad content, on turgid and dull corporate literature, and then emails that no one will ever get beyond the first part of the headline because it's boring. And this complete lack of thinking about who your customer really is, what they care about, what the job they are trying to get done is, uh, what part they play, what their struggling moments are along their journey, and the points where you can turn up. I think this is where video can be incredibly powerful. I want to cycle back to something we touched on earlier, and I went down a rabbit hole. And I think that the issue is, how do we get people to stop focusing on the short-term pipeline and focus on the medium-term pipeline where you can start having, a, you can have account-based or you can have a sales-based outreach uh, approach where you're consistently delivering value to several people within the organization, many of whom will be involved in evaluation, some of whom will be involved in making the decision, many of whom will have to live with the product or the service that you're going to sell them and build the relationship with those people so that when they move from the passive to the active looking phase of their buying cycle, you're really the only show in town. And video can help you to do that and create real familiarity. And remember, human beings are social primates. When people are in our us group, video I found really powerful for that. It helps you enter into the us group instead of the them group. When, when you're part of the us group, you have a lot more latitude. If you screw up, they kind of forgive you if you apologize. And um, if you do a good job, they'll praise you to the rafters. And um, if you make a bit of a mistake, it, it was an anomaly. But if you're one of them, if you're successful, it's because you've climbed over the backs of decent people. If you screw up, it's because you're basically bad, just like all of those horrible types. If you mess up, it's probably just because you're a bad human being or you're incompetent or inept. So just try and get into the us group. And that's one of the big reasons why video can be so powerful. Yeah, I say to that, like, I've seen a lot of literature over the past few years about how selling is shifting to the buyer. And, you know, the Challenger customer is, is the sequel to the Challenger. It's all about selling to groups of decision makers, right? And I say much like the, you know, as the game shifts to group buying, group selling is going to become more important too. You know, you can agree more. Again, it's, I think it's so funny that like, there's all this pressure to fill the pipeline. You know, in some cases, they're going after C-level executives and they they put all the responsibility on a 22-year-old in their first job ever to make these cold calls, <laughs> you know? And it's like, of course it fails. And they're like, oh, the problem is this 22-year-old person. You know, we've got to push them harder. We've got to punish them. We've got to like, whatever. And, you know, one one interesting thing about me that we haven't mentioned is all my videos are captioned. 
I believe it's a big secret to my success is that like when you, when I'm talking to you, you're seeing the words on screen as you're hearing them too. Yeah. And I talk all the time to companies where I'm like, yo, I captioned my uh, prospecting videos. And they go, well, we don't have time for that. And I go, I look at their website. I go, okay, you caption your TikTok videos, you caption your YouTube videos, you caption all your content videos on your website and everything. The only video that you don't caption is the video that's going to a C-level executive that can get you 50% of the way to quota. That's the one person you don't have time to caption your videos for. For me, I'm just like, again, I treat that first impression very seriously. And I always want to make sure if I'm opening up that door, I do not want the other person to slam it shut. And again, people are wondering, you know, there's all this reshuffling going around. Is the SDR rule dead? What's the role of content marketing? I say content and sales needs to get on the same page. The left hand and the right hand should understand what the other is doing. But Chris, this is all part of the problem because um, none of the alphas got to the end of Wealth of Nations where Adam Smith says, don't break the, uh, the functions up because it's dehumanizing. But what uh, if he'd uh, had um, more insight into sales and salespeople, what I've also um, uh, noticed is that it doesn't help you to sell anymore. Because if your customer is treated like an inconvenience at the end of a long chain of abuse, they're not going to be that well disposed towards you. And every sales motion, all of your marketing, all of your selling, your recruitment, everything is to serve the customer and the interests of a few, not, uh, sorry, the, of the uh, the company and the interests of a few, the owners and the shareholders, not the employees, not the partners, not the suppliers, and certainly not the customers. Um, the customers are at the end of this long chain of uh, abuse where they're a forgotten afterthought. Employees are being asked to do things that are actually clash with their value system. Very few SDRs are comfortable with the whole idea of pressuring a customer to buy prematurely just so that they can make quota and not get fired. Yeah, I mean, you know, to this, I just say, it's like the the results should speak for themselves. If you look, if you're consistently missing your quotas, something is wrong. If you spend tens of thousands of dollars on a video solution and your team is not adopting it, something is wrong. Honestly, I'm out here making a lot of noise because a lot of what I have to do is I have to beat a lot of conventional thinking and I've got to overcome a lot of egos, you know? Talk, These sales leaders- about the results then, because that's what ultimately people are paying for. And no one buys your program because they want video training. They buy your program because they want to see their performance improve. So talk to me about the different types of result, but start with the main one, uh, which is in terms of average quota attainment, when someone adopts a video prospecting uh, approach, how does it affect the actual result? And over what period of time can they expect to see that result paying a return? Yeah. So once you're done, like once you have the basics of video prospecting down, you should be seeing at least 60 to 70% response rates on your videos. Right. Okay. And that's compared with what? Um, so you're comparing um, apples with apples. So with email, what kind of response rates are we talking? I mean, I've seen companies that get excited about a 9% open rate, you know, on their, on their cold emails. Cold email. Right, that's open an open rate. Pretty- rate. That's not a response rate. No, the response rates are, are much lower than that. 
my clients and you know this was this was true when i was a sales rep too you know it's like you make five videos you should probably get responses to three or four of those and one or two of those should probably go to meeting it's a more efficient way to do things if you're doing it right I'll have days where I have 100% response rates. I send out five videos, I get five responses back. But when you average it out, it's about 60 to 70%. But I'm getting more responses than no responses. That's one thing you should always be looking at. And again, I know that sellers are getting abysmal results here. I tell sales leaders, I go, look, if you had a sales rep who made 10 cold calls and didn't get any meetings out of it, and they told you, hey, the phone doesn't work, cold calling doesn't work, I give up, you would tell them to go make more phone calls or you would help them make better phone calls. But these sales reps will send out six or seven videos, not get any watches, not get any responses, and their sales leaders conclude, oh, well, video must not work. They don't take the time to say, hey, maybe we need to do this differently. I say, if you're not, I mean, to me, it's like the 60 to 70% response rates are so common with the people I do this with. It's like, there's so much room for improvement based on the responses that people are currently getting. I know sellers who would kill for a 20% response rate, you know, and it's like, you can do it, but you have to do things a little bit differently. And For me, it's tough because what all these sales leaders want is they want to create one generic video that fills their pipeline. They want to make one video that they send out to everybody and it just doesn't work. That's symptomatic of the instant gratification culture and lazy thinking. If they just bothered to pause for a moment and think, well, would I respond if it was my money if someone was approaching me in this way? And nine times out of 10, they'd be saying no. In fact, 99 times out of 100. But they insist on compelling their people to do it time and time again. So cold calling. Again, you've got some exceptional people out there, like the boys over at Connect and Sell and Sales Driven. And they've got response rates, but they're investing a fortune in the right kind of technology stack and in training and developing their people. As a result, they've got not only the technology, but the people with the right behaviors to be able to produce as much as 24 times in a day what a normal SDR can do just by doing manual dials. But leadership is just not asking the sensible question, like, is there a better way? What's currently impossible that if we could fix that, if we could do that, that would be a game changer and then go looking for those That's the problem is they look at video, they look at their own results and see that they did badly. And I think it's an ego thing. They can't imagine that maybe the problem is them. And early on when I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm starting a business. I'm going to do the video thing. This is going to be my full-time job. I had a business coach who told me, she's like, look, you're selling to people who don't think this works. You're selling to people who don't think this can be done well. You need to drink your own Kool-Aid. You need to go out there and show them that it works because if they see that it works, then they won't be able to deny it. And I can tell somebody that I can train your team to do a 30 second professional video that actually gets watched. But if you actually receive one and it's me and I'm talking to you and that's your, that's your words on the screen. I'm talking to the things you care about. It's 30 seconds long. I've just kind of demoed what's possible right in front of your eyes. You know, and I get so many people who sign up for the meeting just because they're like, oh man, I've never received a video this thoughtful before. I've never received a video this professional before. Like, yeah, of course, let's meet. 
but this is, and this is my content strategy too. If you, if you see what I'm doing on LinkedIn, and again, I was an improviser. I was a comedian. I'm very comfortable being on stage without a script, but oftentimes I am doing these like public stunts where you don't actually know how it's going to turn out. You know, I've, one thing I've done a couple of times is uh, I've done cold FaceTiming. So I'm on a live stream. I'm on my phone. I am cold FaceTiming people in my pipeline, just FaceTiming them out of nowhere in public, you know, and that scares people. They would never want to do that. But I show them, I'm like, hey, see how they're not getting angry at me? <laughs> you know, it's because, again, I treat the camera differently. I have a different relationship with the camera. And um, yeah, if you went out there and your message was clean and you were professional and you were focused on your audience, you could be doing it more effectively. You could be doing it at scale. But again, I'm kind of in uncharted territory here. I am writing the book. I have a course. I'm, I'm releasing a book the next year. Again, business schools don't teach this. So I have no choice but to teach it myself. And I've always, I've always learned as a performer, you know, showing is better than telling and discovering is better than showing, you know? So I can tell the audience something. Um, it's much more effective to show them, but the most effective thing is to have them discover it. And that means taking the audience on a journey with you. And that's always what I'm doing in my content is I'm always trying to figure out where's the audience right now? How do I get them from here to here? You know, and that's why my content, I get, you know, really high marks on my content. And I also coach people to make content. Because yeah, I don't really focus on like, is it going to get a million views? I, I try to focus on the journey of that person watching it. And by the end of that video, do they feel smarter? Do they feel engaged? Do they feel like emotionally or intellectually I've taken them somewhere new? Yeah, most most sales guys just have not put this level of thought into video yet, but they will. Oh, well, I don't think they put that level of thought into any part of their selling, yeah. if I've been perfectly blunt. Um, Chris, we, we've come to the top of the hour, unfortunately. Tell me this, how can people get hold of you, first of all? There's a number of ways. So uh, if you want to buy the course, you can go to chrisbogue.io. Is my website. You can find my store there. You can find my products. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. Just look up Chris Bogue and you can ring my bell. Uh, I'm a content creator. I create content every day, new sketch comedy every week. Um, so you check me out there. You can find me on TikTok at Chris Sells His Soul, or you can find me on Twitter at Chris Sells Soul. So uh, however you like to get your content, I do written content, I do video content. Sometimes it's educational, sometimes it's mostly entertaining, but it's always, I'm always trying. I'm always trying to make it a fun experience for the audience. Okay. One final question then. You've got a golden ticket and you can go back and whisper in the ear of the idiot Chris age 23. Mm -hmm. What well, one choice bit of advice would you have given him that you know he'd have ignored, but would have stood him in good stead? I'd tell him you, you actually are good at comedy and this is actually worth something. I spent my twenties very depressed because I wasn't famous, I wasn't rich, I wasn't on Saturday Night Live, I wasn't, I don't know, I was doing these shows, I was writing shows, and you know, I'd pour my heart into it, and best case scenario, maybe a few hundred people would see them. You know, you sell out the theater, that's 100 tickets, you run for three weekends. Um, I looked at that and thought, oh my God, I, waste, I wasted my life. You know, I, I messed around and I was doing unserious things, and now I'm gonna be behind the eight ball for the rest of my life then suddenly the world changed and, and all these artistic skills became a lot more valuable. So I would actually push that version of me to go audition more, to go put myself out there more. 
And yeah, this is why I'm sounding the alarm now. Anybody out there, if you are a speaker, if you are a teacher, if you are an artist, those performance skills are more valuable than you realize. So go out there and ask for the money. Couldn't agree more. Chris Bogue, thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Great for having me on the thing. I really enjoyed being on the show. Likewise. Thank you so much for being such a great guest. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this interesting and insightful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe, and uh, also ring my bell. And if you want to get a hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com. And in the show notes, there'll be a link if you want to talk about coaching or training. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.